It's a very personal thing. And your biggest fear is that you are going to hurt those around you in some way because of what happened or they're not going to believe you, or they may even blame you for what happened. I know when it happened to me, I didn't want to say anything because first of all, you're in complete shock that it happened. You think maybe it's something you did. And I didn't want to hurt my mom because it was her husband. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur. And I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. And today's guest is Marcy Hopkins. Marcy is an award-winning TV host, creator, and executive producer of Wake Up With Marcy. Marcy is a fearless voice in television who tackles a wide range of issues on her show, including mental health, domestic violence, divorce, addiction, trauma, social impact, health, wellness, and more. The conversations she has with her guests are candid with a mission to inspire and empower her audience to feel more hopeful and happy. Marcy is a mother of two. She's also a philanthropist, a sexual abuse survivor, and is six years sober. So help me in welcoming Marcy Hopkins to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Marcy, welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Great to be here. I'm super excited to chat with you. You're a warrior. You've gone through so much. You've survived sexual trauma. You've survived emotional trauma, all forms of abuse. You're also in recovery. You've been sober for what? five years, four years, six years now, six years. Wow. Yeah. And I've heard you say that for quite some time, alcohol became this, this liquid courage for you in that you would drink it and you essentially couldn't do a lot of hard things without drinking it. You had to use this as a coping mechanism to feel comfortable in your own skin. And so with that said, like, how did that transpire as this liquid courage? Like, how did it really help you? And then Mm -hmm. when did it reach the point where it became detrimental and it wasn't something that was an asset in your life? Well, Doug, when I hit 40, I decided that I was going to get in front of the camera. I've always worked in media, but I've always been behind the scenes. And so here I decide to try to get in front of the camera. It had been a lifelong dream. And It scared me to death. I was terrified of the entire process, the auditioning process, waiting to see if I got the job, the gig, and then actually going for the job. So what I decided one day was, hey, maybe I'll try a glass of wine because that'll calm my nerves. So that started becoming the norm when I would go to an audition. I had my thermos full of wine. That was my liquid courage. I'd have some before I went into an auditioning room and then I would drink afterwards, whether it was because I was patting myself on the back for how I did, or because I felt really bad about what I had done. This went on for quite a while. One wine would become two glasses of wine And it just got to the point where I had very low self-esteem. And here I am in in an industry that you are constantly being judged. And it is a roller coaster ride waiting to see if you were picked. And it was just entirely too much for me in my mental state. So towards the end, I just elevated my drinking and my self-esteem got lower and lower until I bottomed out. And I went to a uh, modeling gig. I had my liquid courage. I went out afterwards and full transparency, I ended up getting a DUI and that was my huge wake up call. And like they say, the rock bottom for me. Wow. So you were using alcohol as a way to feel comfortable on camera during your modeling gigs. Mm-hmm. And, and I think from what I understand, you're also going through perimenopause at, at a younger age, right? You started experiencing yeah. it in your forties and, and that became something that you felt kind of less than, or you felt this 
these. It was hard, Doug. You know what? And it's something that really dawned on me now as I'm older and have had a sober mind that, wow, I was full on perimenopause. I was going through really, really deep depression prior to my cycle. And actually, I ended up having to get on an antidepressant and that did help me, but, but the drinking continued. And I, I do now think it had something to do with it. And with my research, I have found that there are a lot of women that go through perimenopause and their drinking elevates. It's a way of coping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I've heard that too. I mean, I have several friends that are kind of in that, in the thick of that right now. And they're trying to explain to me the hormonal changes, the, mm-hmm. what happens with their mood and the, the, the irritability and everything else that comes along with it. And, you know, as a guy, I mean, I can listen and have compassion and empathy, but it's hard for me to truly understand because I, I'm, I'm not going to experience that. I mean, yeah, well, I think men experience certain things when they age, but not to the capacity that women do when they, when they hit that perimenopause, menopause stage. So I guess looking back, because I do have a predominantly larger female audience that listens to my show that either maybe they're going through this right now, or they're going to go through it, or maybe they have a relative that's going through it. Like, so in your research and what you've done since then, like, how would you have done it the healthy way? Well, Doug, my drinking was so deep and ingrained in me because from the age of 12, when I started being sexually abused, I found alcohol and that was a way to cope. My parents were alcoholics. All I ever saw was when something happened in your life, you drink alcohol. I mean, I remember when I was eight years old, my stomach was hurting and my mom was like, here, drink some margarita because this helps me you know, to go to the bathroom. So that was just for me, alcohol had been something that I always used to cope. I do believe that there are a lot of women that are approaching perimenopause or menopause and take it from me because I started early. Your doctor may not think that it's really happening to you, but push it. And also I would really recommend getting educated on what's happening because there's a lot of things that happen to your body during that time. And you may think it's something else and that's what's happening, whether it's adult acne or losing your hair, there's gaining weight. There's all these things that we, we do hear about, or we don't. And I just think getting educated on that. And there are a lot of natural ways that you can handle it. And there's also hormonal replacement. And you just want to really do your research and talk to your doctor about it, because there are a lot of healthy ways that you can help yourself with that. Right, right. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to be proactive with any health situation that they're either facing now or going to face and kind of nip it in the bud as soon as you can. So that way it doesn't progress into to anything more severe than what it is. And I think, like you said, talking to your doctor and finding healthy strategies to cope with that and joining support groups, which I'm sure there's plenty of that out there right now for this and, and so on is super important. I want to go back to something you said a minute ago when you talked about how you got caught up in this bad habit loop with your drinking when all you knew as far as coping with something that was going on in your life, you just knew just the drink. And you talked about surviving sexual abuse, other forms of abuse when you were a child and your parents' relationship with with alcohol and addiction. So how did this play out in the rest of your life? Because you just talked about six years ago getting sober. And so you drank for a long time. Did that progress at all? Were you just pretty stagnant with your your drinking? Because you hear a lot of people, they'll, they'll drink for like five, 10 years in a way to cope and then their life will fall apart and then they'll stop or something bad will happen and, and something will have to change. So, so what, what ended up playing out in your life? Well, it was, it was a cycle. So what would happen is I would be drinking what I thought was normal, which normal to me was every day, but it may be a couple of glasses of wine and then more on the weekends. And I got through school. I got had the great jobs and everything. But what would happen is, is that my drinking would seem normal, my normal, and then it would start elevating when I started becoming unhappy and 
I started playing that victim role. So let's say I was in a relationship. I became very unhappy. My drinking elevated in my job. Something would make me unhappy. I would drink at that. So what would happen is my drinking would get to a point where it started really affecting everything in my life more. And I would just cut all that out and make a change. And so I would think it was everyone else's fault. And if I made a change and made a move, then my life was going to get better. But what happened was, is I just continued that cycle. And it wasn't until I quit drinking and went to the 12-step program that I recognized my cycle and was able to break that. Yeah. Because you see a lot of people that they experience something traumatic, whether it's going through a really horrible breakup or losing a job. And that situation isn't what necessarily causes their life to completely fall apart. It's maybe some of the choices they make in response to that, that they end up now turning this this moment of chaos into something super chaotic because now they've created all these other additional negative circumstances because of the result of how they've kind of handled that. So what, what advice would you have for someone who has just gone through something like that so they can handle it in a way where they don't make their life much worse than it already is? Well, first of all, I just want to acknowledge that when we go through something really hard, that the first thing we do is turn to something that allows us to forget or fill a void, whether that's eating or drinking, whatever it may be. And give yourself a minute. I mean, you're going through a really, really hard time. But when you start making positive choices, changing your mindset and helping yourself to be the healthiest person you can be, mind, body, spirit, your life will end up unfolding in a way that you would never thought possible. So we're going through this very difficult time. Let's say it's divorce and that's grieving, right? Because you've lost something, it's ending. And a lot of times it's hard to recognize how our part in it, but the best thing that we can do is start to heal, start to change, maybe look at the things that we were doing and, and try to start changing those patterns and get help, get therapy, start reading self-help books or listen to people that have gone through these things so they can help you because taking care of our bodies, sleeping, eating, exercising, meditating. One of the things that really helped me was having a gratitude jar, finding ways to be thankful every day. And when you live in gratitude, like when everything falls apart, and you're losing everything. It's hard to find gratitude, but can you just wake up and say, I do have a roof over my head. I have my children. I have my health. There are things that we can find that can allow us to make that little shift just to sit, say, I do have some good things in my life. And it's, it's a hard road, but it's really possible. And the outcome is just so rewarding. Yeah. There's a lot there that you said that's just so spot on. And I think uh, taking your power back and looking at the things that you can control or the behaviors that you can change or the patterns that you can unlearn or how you can learn to make these simple shifts in your life that over time will lead into some big changes, I think is everything. Because I think what tends to happen, and this is just from my own personal experience, when we go through something very challenging, mm-hmm. the easy thing to do and just for by default to keep us in survival mode and to protect us, protect our ego is to just look at the situation in itself and say, oh my gosh, can you believe like how bad that person was to me? Or can you believe yeah. like how they treated me? Or can you believe, I go on and on with examples of how that can play out. And then you forget to look at like, well, what are some of the things that I could have done differently to respond to that situation? How could I have handled it differently? What is the silver lining in this for me? I want to go into something that I think that, that people struggle with. And that is when they're a parent, they're a mom, they're a dad. And they've struggled with addiction. They've struggled with their own mental health. And somehow it's impacted the relationship with their kids. Mm. So how did your alcoholism impact the relationship with your kids, which I know were are super important to you? Yeah. And 
have you had to do any work on the relationship with the kids to kind of improve the relationship? What does that look like? For me, I was extremely fortunate that I was not impacting my children so much. My drinking was elevating for sure, but I wasn't doing, I wasn't having blackouts. I had a few, but I wasn't having a lot. Mom wasn't passing out on the couch. But what I was creating was a lot of animosity in the home, a lot of fighting. So that was that was a lot on me because I was so unhappy. And my children at six years ago were they were eight and and twelve. Mm. And so they weren't they didn't really see. They saw mom had a glass of wine, but that was the norm, right? So I was really fortunate in that. But I can flip it around and say that my mom was a terrible alcoholic. Unfortunately, alcoholism killed her. So I was a child of an alcoholic. And that was really, really difficult, especially when you don't understand the disease. And you think that this person that's supposed to love you and care for you and protect you is choosing alcohol or a drug over you, it's very difficult, but that's not what's happening. They are truly sick and they don't really have the control or the willpower or the ability to make the choice to not drink or drug. When they get sober, the other thing I want to say is if you are a child of an alcoholic or a drug addict, you can't make your mom or dad get sober. And it's not about you. It's not that they don't love you. It's not that you don't mean everything to them, even if they're, they've left the house and they're drinking and drugging. It is they are completely overtaken by this addiction and this disease that has really overtaken their body and they can't make these positive choices. Now, when they get sober, as long as I, I believe, again, I go back to education, education is power, going to um, the 12 step programs that can help you through this because they have them for family and for children. And I think therapy is important. It's important to understand what is happening. And if you are the parent, the other parent and your wife or husband are going through this, I think it's important that you help your children to understand what's happening. And it's not them. It's not about them. And it's not that mommy or daddy don't love you. So I just think it's really important that we, we do what we can to help the children to understand what's happening. Right. Yeah. I think it's, it's a hard truth, but it's one that I think the more, the, the more quick we can accept it, that we can't change that loved one, that person, whether it's a parent, whether it's a child, whether it's a sibling, whether it's somebody yeah. we're in a relationship with and we figure out like, okay, like I can't change them, but what can I change? Well, I can change how I show up in that relationship. Yeah. I can change who I'm going to spend time with, whether that's going to be people I'm going to get support from, or whether that's going to be people I can lean on in my community who have been through something similar. I can change how I can take care of my own health mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. And I think once you do that, it at least helps protect your own self, this, your sense of self in that situation, in that dynamic. Now, I think when you're a teenage kid, it's a lot harder to tell somebody that, right? Because what 12 year old yeah. wants to hear that? They just want their, their parent to be fully present. So what advice would you have for somebody that? I just, Doug, I'm just going to say, I, I'm sorry if I interrupted you, but I just think it's so important that we talk about these things and that we don't make it a shameful thing. And we be honest that mommy or daddy are, are sick. And this is what is happening. And a child at 12 can actually handle a lot more than you think that they can. So wouldn't they rather hear the truth, have an understanding why this is happening to mom or dad, and then be able to have positive ways to cope with it. And they need help to understand that. I'm not saying that a 12 year old should be able to just say, you tell them and then they manage it. You know, right, right, get right. them the help. But there's a lot of times, like, I'll, I'll just give a quick example. My father did not participate in my life, and I was living with my grandparents, and I thought he abandoned me. 
he didn't love me. Why doesn't he want to see me? Well, he thought, I found out later in life, he just thought that his lifestyle was not good for me and that it would be better if I was with my grandparents. Now, I think that if my grandparents had been open with me and we talked about it a little more, that would have helped me. I wouldn't have thought my dad doesn't love me and wants, doesn't want to be with me. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think having open dialogue and open communication is is incredibly important and, and it's crucial and providing these kids the tools to know that, okay, like mommy or daddy is is going through this challenging time right now because of X, Y, or Z situation, but here's some tools that, that can help you. Like here's, yes. we're going to get you a therapist. We're going to have family meetings. We're going to make sure that there's an open line of communication between the parent and the child. And while that's not easy by any means, I think it's it's paramount in the ability to help reduce the level of pain and trauma. I think that the kid will go through throughout their life and staying on this topic of the alcoholic parent, mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that are functioning alcoholics out there, right? There is mm -hmm. a, there's a lot of people that like alcohol has become like part of the normal thing to do. You see, you're seeing people tailgating at like at high school sporting events. You're seeing people tailgating at club sport events. You're seeing just people just they, they come home and they, and they drink every day and they're fine. And because maybe financially they're, they're doing well, or there's not many problems in their relationships at home or because they're just getting stuff done at their job, like they don't see an issue with it. Yeah. So how does somebody know that it's gotten to the point where it's now become an addiction and it's not just like a bad habit they need to kick? Well, I think the first thing is, is that there's no way that you could make the choice to not do it. I think if you have a bad habit, you could still have the ability to make the choice to maybe not do it. But if you're addicted, you just do not have the capacity to, to make that choice. And it's a real slippery slope, Doug. I don't know if you found this, but it's like, you feel like you're drinking and it's fine. And then all of a sudden, maybe you're starting to, to hide alcohol because you don't want your significant other to really know how much you're drinking, or you're hiding uh, those few glasses of wine before your husband gets home. And then you act like you're just having the one glass with him at dinner. So it's, it's when it starts elevating and you, you can't stop can't stop at the one glass like you used to, or you need more because you're not getting the same effects. I think it's, it's you really got to start looking at that and that slip, slippery slope. That's what happened for me. It was like, okay, I'm managing, I'm doing good. Nobody sees anything wrong with me. And then I'm drinking before my husband gets home. I'm finding my friends to go with, to lunch with and have drinks. And then it even got to the point on the weekends, like, I was hiding a bottle of wine, you know, under the, the sink because I didn't want my husband to know I actually had any. Mm. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic, and free of fillers and contain less than three grams of sugar per serving. This includes Organifi green juice, which I am now using in my smoothies, either after a workout or for a great on-the-go snack. It's loaded with essential superfoods and a clinical dose of ashwagandha. It helps reduce stress and support healthy cortisol levels. Cutting down on caffeine is a big initiative of mine as we head into the new year, and Organifi's red juice is going to help me do just that. It's basically a superfood fruit punch that gives me a jolt of energy without the caffeine, and it only has two grams of sugar. If you aren't into smoothies, don't worry. Organifi products are super easy to mix, and you can add one scoop to a glass of water. So go to www.organifi.com forward slash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off your order. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash Doug and use the code Doug for 20% off any item. Now back to the show. Yeah, it's a touchy subject because I think addiction, while we've come a long way with the stigma of addiction, I think it's still stigmatized that people will only see themselves as having a problem if 
if something has impacted them financially. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Right. Where if you're the person that's making great money, you've got your family unit still together, but you're drinking like two bottles of wine at night to cope with the stressful job that you're in or to, to maybe cope with the fact that you're really not happy in your marriage or whatever else is going on in your life. But because you're making good money and you're, you're still providing for your family or, or whatever the case may be, that you don't have a problem. It's just the way it is. And because it's legal, people are like, oh, it's legal. It's okay. But there's a lot of yeah. things in life that are legal that, that, that aren't healthy for you, right? Cigarettes are legal. That's That kills tons of people every single year. There's yeah. plenty of other things that fall into that category as well. So I want to go back to something that we've kind of touched on a little bit that I think is another slippery slope and that's sexual assault, right? Mm-hmm. I think I've heard that like one in three women, I believe, or yes. have been, have been sexually assaulted. And mm-hmm. I forget maybe like once every what, 90 seconds, some like a, somebody's being sexually abused. Yeah, it's, it's bad. But I think, I believe that one of the things that's most challenging about the situation is not just healing from it, but it's opening up and sharing. Like you hear a lot of people who come out like years later and they'll open up and share because they were so afraid of doing so when it happened and they hear somebody else share and they're like, Oh my gosh, like I'm not alone. And they start to share. So like, how do you convince somebody who's maybe gone through an experience like this when they were a teenager to open up and share like sooner than later? Oh, Doug, that's a hard one because it's such a, a personal thing. And a lot of times you don't want to affect the people around you. Let's maybe think if it was someone close in the family, which most times it is someone you know that is very close to the family, whether it's a coach, a friend of the family, or someone in the family. And you don't want to hurt mom and dad. You don't want to hurt the unit of life that you have, your family unit, so you keep it to yourself. I think that someone needs to feel very safe with the other person, that they're not going to be judged, that they're going to be believed. That's another big one that they're afraid that they're not going to be heard and believed. And so I know women today that have been sexually abused. And when I say women, I mean, 18, and they haven't even told their parents, but they're in therapy and they've only told their therapist. To me, I don't, necessarily believe that that's completely healing from the pain of it to think that you can't tell your mom that this happened. Right. But it's a very personal thing. And your biggest fear is again, just what I said, that you are going to hurt those around you in some way because of what happened, or they're not going to believe you, or they may even blame you for what happened. So it's a real personal thing. I know when it happened to me, I didn't want to say anything because first of all, you're in complete shock that it happened. You think maybe it's something you did. And I didn't want to hurt my mom because it was her husband. And it wasn't until she and I were in Hong Kong and he tried to look at me under the door slats while I was in the shower and we left and because he made us leave the room And we got in a huge argument and I ended up telling her in that heat of that anger and my mom didn't leave. So here I am, I'm telling my mom, I'm looking for safety and she didn't leave him. And I understand now a lot more like my mother was a broken person and she was so afraid to leave. And what was her fix? It was wear more clothes when you go to sleep. And I also think that she thought that she was going to break my grandparents because I had already left her to go live with my grandparents because her other boyfriend had beat me. So she probably thought her parents would disown her for now doing this to me or allowing it to happen to me. So it's really, it's a very, very difficult situation, but I would say If it is happening to you, do not keep it to yourself. You must do something to help yourself. And it's not your fault in any way. And I would say the first thing to do is start 
to go to therapy to start to help you. But I think we, I think it needs to be talked more about. Sure. You're so right in that it's, it's so difficult to open up and share. And it's very personalized, like you said, just depending on someone's journey and where they're at and what the relationships like with their family or the person that they, that, that did it to them. But I've heard you say that like the longer you hold on to it, the more it'll manifest and show up in other areas of your life. And in the end, the only person that's going to negatively impact is yourself. Yes. Whether that's manifesting in some sort of addiction, whether whether it's manifesting in toxic relationships or lack of self-confidence or what have you, but it's I had hard. All this, Doug. Right. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, we, as we talked about, right. Like it manifested in some negative ways in, in your life. So let's just say though, that somebody is like going through it. Like how do they start to be able to go to therapy without telling their parents or telling somebody that they trust that something like this has happened to them? Well, one of the things that I do like to say is that if you start, there's groups, obviously. I mean, thank God for social media now and Facebook, because you can find groups that can help you. You can now find virtual therapy online. So you don't even have to go anywhere if you don't want to you know, tell anyone. I, I myself am very open about what has happened to, be, to me now. And in my ability to be open, I create a safe place for other people to tell me what has happened to them. And I always tell them that this is your start to healing from what has happened to you. The more that you tell your story, the more that you heal from it and you actually help other people around you. So again, there are groups, find people that you are comfortable with, that you trust. Maybe, maybe it's a good friend of the family. Maybe it's, and and I think this is with anything, Doug, like you may not trust telling your parents or feel comfortable with that but find somebody that you do feel comfortable with opening up and, and whatever the conversation is, you know, because we need to be open about all of these things that we are going to be confronted with as a young person and drinking and drugs and sex and what it looks like when you go to a party and what is right and wrong about a boy touching you and saying what's okay and what's not okay. And you deciding for yourself what's okay and not okay. You know, so it's just finding someone you feel comfortable with, finding groups that you can talk to. And also these online virtual therapists now are are a great asset to us. And I believe another big part of this whole thing that helps people heal is forgiveness. So let's let's talk about your relationship with forgiveness. Let's talk about how you have forgiven certain members of your family that have impacted a lot of the unfortunate things that you've gone through. Let's talk about how you've forgiven yourself Mm -hmm. um, and some of the things that you've, you've gone through specifically, I guess, in the last maybe decade or so when you were in the thick of your alcohol addiction. So what tools have, have you used to really embrace forgiveness and let go of this massive burden that so many people tend to carry on their backs? And that's this resentment towards others. Yeah. Well, the first thing I want to say is when you forgive the act of somebody else or someone else, it's for you. And you're not saying that what they did was okay. You are just releasing that resentment and anger and victimization. And so what I have had to do, and again, the 12-step program saved my life because it allowed me to delve deep deep internally, because you got to go inside to really heal from these things. And so I was able to, after a while, be kinder to myself for the things that I had done and understand that I wasn't well. And I needed to just let go of the anger and shame and grief that I had for what I had done. My stepfather, I will never forgive the action, but I can't hold on to the resentment because that is what has eaten me up for all of these years. 
Doug, it's interesting. One of the things, and I don't recommend this because they say you shouldn't do this, but I found my stepfather recently and I confronted him. And his response to me was, first of all, oh, I'm so glad to hear from you. This was on LinkedIn. And he actually, in writing, said all this, admitted what he had done. Mm. And he said, I've never done it again. I've only, I was just drinking a lot and unhappy in my relationship, which was about my mom. And he was going through bankruptcy. So as you can imagine, that only fueled my anger and my upset because I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. And, but I had to let it go. I had to, to say to myself that I'm not going to be able to change what happened. I walk with God and my higher power now, and I do things to help others and help myself and live a joyful life. And if I am going to heal fully then I am going to have to let go of the resentment. And also I've completely forgiven my mom and my mom has passed away. She passed away a year and a half ago, but she was sick. So I have such a, a much better understanding, but Doug, I think the biggest part of this 12 step program has allowed me to heal myself, to go internally, find that inner child let her know that everything's okay, doing the shadow work and just really putting my faith in God and giving back now. And that's what's changed my life really. So beautifully said. And and thank you so much for sharing and being so vulnerable. I just wanted to acknowledge that because it's tough, especially when you've gone through something that's incredibly traumatic and horrendous that you went through to have to navigate through the ramifications of what that causes in your life. And then having to deal with like maybe these unhealthy coping strategies that you use in response. Like, I think we've said this a few times, like it's not to say that these experiences aren't horrific because they, they really are. But I think what we often want after we move through that is peace and happiness and to be able to feel good about ourselves. And what I've found in my own experience, and it seems like you have too, is that when you choose these unhealthy coping mechanisms like drugs, alcohol, and others, you push yourself away from the very thing that you do want after these events happen, which is peace, happiness, success, fulfillment, finding other healthy connections. And that's why I think it's so important that when you go through these horrible times, like to take the the pause and to like you said like acknowledge that it's okay to be feeling a certain way after that situation happens but also trying to figure out what is a good first step to start the journey to move forward not to forget it or not even to completely forgive the situation but to to better yourself so that you don't let this situation define who you are for the rest of your life which is hard so I guess we're, I want to stay on this topic of like rebuilding yourself after hard experiences because I think a lot of people they go through life and they and they they have something that's unfortunate that happens to them and then as a result they just don't feel comfortable with who they are they stay they lack self esteem they lack self confidence they are just they don't have the ability to move forward and stand firm in their truest self or their identity or in their power and as a result they turn to liquid courage, right? Liquid courage could be in the form of alcohol. It could be in the form of drugs. It could be in the form of money, sex, social media, whatever it is. So what are some of the things that you do now? Because I think we still go through things in life despite us not being addicted to a substance. So how do you handle being uncomfortable now? Like, What are some of your best practices? Well, one of the big ones, and this is one that I've learned through my healing journey is meditating. It's such a vital part of my life. And, you know, unfortunately I hear a lot of times, Doug, I can't meditate. I can't calm my mind. And I get that. I get that. But it is incredible when you just give yourself that 
time to let yourself just be how you get inspirational hits that can help you in your life to move forward in your life journey, to help you in focusing, to reboot you in your day, you know, because we get tired. And if we allow ourselves to lay down, and even if you fall asleep during that time, you wake up re-energized. Just meditating was a huge part of mine. Recovery and still is daily. Mm. Another thing that I have learned that has really, really helped me, Doug, is that if I have a confrontation or communication hasn't gone well, which by the way, I have learned to communicate. That used to be one of the hardest things that I would do. I would keep it all bottled inside until it just exploded. But that's what I learned. That's what I grew up with. So that was something that I had to change. But now I have the ability, if I get upset at something or become irritable about something, I stop and I ask myself, what is really going on here? What is really the the core or the main reason that I am reacting to this thing that shouldn't be this big? And a lot of times you can figure out what is really going on. And that helps you. That helps you in being able to process for yourself and communicate with the person that you're with so you're not harming that relationship and making things worse for both of you. Another thing for me is I I wake up and I go to sleep praying to God, thanking him for the day, thanking him for another day of sobriety, thanking him for what happened for my children or whatever the case may be. I wake up in gratitude. I go to sleep in gratitude. And I also tell God, Jesus, and the blessed Mary, I love you. (laughs) So those are big ones for me (laughs) because Jesus saved me. I have a beautiful story about Jesus through this, but let's go in. Let's go into that. I was really saved by Jesus. Oh, Doug. So beautiful. I have so many signs from God since I've gone through this healing and I'm really excited. I'm putting them all in my book. I told you about my book. It's called Chaos to Clarity, and it's going to have my God moments. But what happened was, is when you go to AA so often, it's in a common room by a church, right? So we have these meetings, and there was a small chapel. And I decided to go into the chapel because I'd always believed in God, but you know, I wasn't practicing much except for going on, you know, Sunday sometimes, but I didn't really practice. So I go into this chapel and there was a little lamb, a picture of a lamb at the front of the church. And then there was Jesus on the cross. And I would look at that little lamb and I would pray to Jesus and say, you are my shepherd. If you help me through this, I will be the lamb that follows you through the rest of my life. And I will do everything possible to to be that person, right? And follow in in God's will. And then when I would exit that church, there was a stained glass window of Jesus holding a lamb and the sheep around him. And I said, in tears, every time, I want to be that lamb that you hold in your arms. And it was just amazing how life started to change. And there's that spiritual awakening that maybe you've heard of. If you're in the 12-step program, you hear about it a lot. And it's really, it's different. It's not like you go to church and you have the traditional fundamental religion. This is a connection to God, universe, your angels, nature. It's just beautiful. And that's what came from that for me. That's amazing. It really is. Cause I think I, I'm not in AA or NA. I mean, I, you know, my story, I got into recovery when I was in jail, but what I've heard from a lot of people is that the, one of the hardest things to really get fully immersed in the 12 step community is getting past that spiritual barrier. Yeah. And then I, maybe this will be something that we go into really quick is that a lot of people, they equate if something bad happens to them in their life, it's like, Oh, God must not be real. Like, why would he do this to me? You know, God's supposed to be about love or if, if Jesus was real, or if this was all like true, 
then why did I go through all these bad experiences and other people didn't? So like, what was that process like for you where you truly had to accept that you know, you believed in God, but you also accepted the fact that he allowed you to go through some of these unfortunate circumstances? You know what's so strange, Doug? I've never blamed God for anything that happened to me. Mm. Why is that though? Because I'm a human that makes my own choices. And I don't believe that I never turned to God unless I was asking God to fix something that I had messed up. But when I truly asked God to help me and I would follow in his footsteps, that's when it really changed for me. I believe there's evil. I believe there's evil forces. I think that we are the soldiers of God. And we make a lot of choices on our own. I believe that we need to go through things to learn a lot of things. I myself would not be where I am today if I hadn't gone through it and now helping other people. This helped me to heal and learn and grow unlike anything else. Did I want to go through it? No, but I don't blame God that it happened because I feel closer to God now than I ever have. And that's because I finally asked for that. Right. So I put it on myself. Like we, we don't go to God unless we're going, Hey God, can I have that car in my garage? Or, you know, why don't I have enough money or why is this happening? But how are you really living your life? Are you believing fully in God? Do you ask God for something and believe fully it's going to happen? Or do you just continue to worry about it and create this chaos in your life? Like we're supposed to pray to God and ask for these things and let it go, right? Let it go. And I think we, we create so much of our own chaos in our lives and God's just waiting for us to ask him to come in our hearts. And when that happens, we will live in full joy. But that's what I believe. I don't think God makes a choice that you're going to get a bad life. We all go through bad things. We all do. Some worse than others, but we all have these learning experiences in our life. And hopefully we get better from them and learn from them. It's so well said. I like how you said you only went to God. Like when you wanted him to fix something, it's like, we want him to be like the Easter bunny or the tooth fairy or something just to come like on demand. Yeah. And, and really it's just, it's not like that. It's about a long-term relationship and just acknowledging that we all go through hard times and some go through things more severe than others. But I don't think that's necessarily God just doing that. Like, yeah, I'm going to pick Marcy and she's going to, I'm going to put her through all this on purpose because I don't like her. You know, yeah. I just think, unfortunately, life happens and there's there's evil in the world. And sometimes yeah. evil comes into our lives. And I think what where God comes into that is that he helps you find purpose in some of that pain and using some of these unfortunate experiences to reconnect to yourself in a way that's healthy and then use that relationship with yourself mm-hmm. to now influence the people around you. So the last question I have, I I like this question, but I don't like this question because I know everyone's experience is different, but alcohol use addiction is, is, has been up these past couple of years for sure. Kids are home from school more and, you know, your moms are drinking, parents are drinking more to deal with the stress of that. And, and just people who are just faced with a lot of uncertainty. So let's just say there's a mom that's listening to this. That's, that's noticed her alcohol consumption increase over the last several months, over the last several years, but is afraid to, to reach out because they're like, oh my, she's like, oh my gosh, what are my kids going to think? Or what is my husband going to think? Or what's my job going to think if this is somebody who maybe say she's like working for a job where it could impact her employment? Like what advice would you have to that mom? Well, the first thing I want to say is that you're not alone and there is help out there. And Nobody has to know. There are online 12-step meetings, so you can explore these 12-step meetings. They're at all times, all around the world. And you can start checking them out, seeing if they work for you. And I guess what I would say is that if your drinking has elevated, you are starting to see that it is affecting your life. What's going to be better? that you continue drinking and maybe it goes to a place 
where you're really affecting your children or your relationships, or maybe you get the help that you need and you can start living a life of full joy and that you will be fully present for your children and for yourself. So it's just give yourself the green light to find some help, therapy, 12-step program, these things are online and there's no shame in it. And I, I invite you to, to check that out because there's a better life waiting for you. Amen to that. Well said, Marcy. And I think that's a beautiful place for us to end our conversation. So thank you so much once again for being so open and sharing in the most real raw way. And let's just say there's people who want to learn more about you. They want to know where they can watch your show, Wake Up With Marcy, or they want to connect with you on social media. Where's the best place for them to do that? Well, first of all, wakeupwithmarcy.com is my website. All my shows are on there and my upcoming shows. If you're in the tri-state area, my show airs every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. on WLNY 1055. It's also on Hulu Live and YouTube. And really, I'm also a podcast now, Doug. So it's on all the podcast platforms. So there's no reason not to see it. And I am on uh, social media, Instagram. I have more of um, a recovery-based Instagram page now. And that's host Marcy Hopkins. And I've been really enjoying, you know, trying to be real and connect with people there that are also in the sober community. And then I have my official wake up with Marcy underscore and wake up with Marcy on Facebook. So there it is. It used to all just be wake up with Marcy, but some stuff happened. So now I'm all over the place. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll make sure to plug your website in the show notes. That way people can connect with you and uh, go check her out. She's got an amazing story. She's an amazing human and just so well-spoken, very soulful person and congratulations on all your success personally and professionally. And it was such a pleasure to have you on the show. And for those listening, what I invite you to do, just like I always do, is share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Marcy said about her childhood that you related to. Maybe it was something that she said about the healing process or forgiveness. Maybe it was something that she said about parenting. Maybe it was something that she said about what she does now to deal with uncertainty and uncomfortable times, whatever it was tag Marcy, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. We once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we'll see you next time.